Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Thanks, Ant. So today we read about a role model church, the church in, uh, that's described in Thessalonians. This is a church for which Paul gives thanks. He gives thanks so much that it causes him great joy. Have a look here at uh, chapter 3, 9 to 10 with me. I wonder how many experiences you have of amazing joy in the Lord because you're giving thanks for a church. Paul says, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul and his friends experienced joy in the Lord because of this church. That's what kind of a church it is. I'm pretty excited to hear about the kind of church that moves Paul and his friends to thankfulness. I want to hear about this church and Paul describes it as a role model church. It's a role model church because it's a church that has its life grounded in God. It's a church that is united to God the Father and united to God the Son. And it's united to God because of a deep conversion that's happened. God has turned these people around through his powerful word, through the works of the Spirit, and through great role modelling from the apostles and the modelling that Jesus gives us. So this is a church united to God, deeply converted, and as a result, they do the hard yards of deep works of love. And for that reason, it's a role model church. Union with God, deep conversion, the works of hard love. And for that reason, God has included this description of 1 Thessalonians in our Bible for us today so that we might have a role model church to know about. This is helpful. Think about it. For parents, if you have kids and they come back from a Christian camp, they're like, hey, we want to go and visit our friends at like St. Silas Q or St. Such and Such in... Um, Frankston, you're like, well, is it a good church? How would you know if it's a good church? This passage is a good way, gives you some healthy criteria for what a church looks like when it's in a good condition. United to God, thoroughly converted, does the hard works of love. That's a role model church. That's a healthy church. I'm happy for my kids to go there. If you're a Christian leader, it's really important to have a vision. What kind of a church are we building in this place? I've been a minister in two parishes and I tell you what, knowing what you're working towards, what kind of people of God God is happy with, makes a huge difference. It gives you focus, gives you direction. An analogy for that is, I don't know if you watched Lego Masters. It was on last night, one of my favourite shows. You'll hear about it in the sermon series to come. (laughs) One of the things with Lego Masters is as you're designing your monster ice cream that's terrorizing a summer scene is that you need to plan it beforehand. Otherwise, you'll end up in a big mess. A vision for what you're building is key. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 gives us a vision of the kind of church that we want to build, a vision for the kind of church that will bring joy to God's people and to the living and true God himself. So it's a church worth giving thanks for. So let's dig into what this might look like. Well, firstly, it's a church um, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And what this means is that the origin of the church is in God. Not just that God gives the people in the church their existence, but that God has united the people to himself in Christ and in the Spirit. So the people have been grafted into the very life of God. God the Trinity sends the Spirit of his Son into our lives. He pours his love into our hearts by the Spirit, such that there is a vital and organic union between us and God. That means we're in a spiritual, intellectual and emotional relationship with God. Our life as God's people is grounded in union with him. And it's a real union. It's a life-changing union. It's a union that gives us safety. It helps us understand that we really are adopted by God as his children. And this union not only generates our life as Christians, but empowers us to live as God's people in our local context. And that's going to become key because we're going to be called to do hard works. So union with God is the source of our life. It's his ongoing empowerment to live distinctive lives. And it also means that we live in God's presence at every moment. We don't have a distant God with whom we relate. He is always here. Our life is carried out in between the you and me of our relationship with God. In that relational dynamic, there is where we live our Christian lives. God is always with us. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with you. So the Christian life is a life lived with God, lived with God's people, and it's grounded in the fact that we are united with God and with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're united with the Lord Jesus Christ, that means we live under his lordship. We live as people who are loyal, faithful to him. So it's no surprise that Paul will then go on to talk about being imitators of Christ and imitators of the apostle who've shown their life in righteousness and holiness amongst them. And the spirit will empower this unique kind of life. I'll give you a counterexample to this kind of life. We've all heard about this, sadly. It's what happened to Carl Lentz at Hillsong. Famous megachurch pastor, New York City, mates with all the kind of A-listers. He had a series of affairs, came out about it. And in his kind of announcement, he said, uh, when you lead from an empty place, you do stupid things. We need to be living in a close union with God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When we are keen and keenly aware of our union with God, we're not going to lead from an empty place. We're not going to fall into those stupid things. It's vitally important that all of us who lead in churches, in families, in ministries, all kind of areas lead from knowing that our life is in God and that God empowers and gives us his presence as we live Christian lives. Otherwise, you're going to be leading out of a place of emptiness and you're going to find yourself in great trouble. So the practical application of union 
with our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is to lean into what Paul wishes here for the congregation, grace and peace. What are the spiritual practices that you have in your life that mean that you're leaning and aware of and living out of grace, God's mercy and peace, the wholeness that God gives you? One of the reasons we do GSF here is to encourage those practices so that you are reminded day by day through the word, visual elements, Christian art, candles, through touch and taste, the Lord's Supper, and so forth, that you live in grace and in peace and from grace and from peace so that you're ministering out of that place, out of wholeness and grace with God. Vitally important for Christian leaders today. Now, leading from grace and peace means that you don't walk alone because you've been thoroughly converted. It's very important what it says here, that uh, beginning in verse 4, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words but with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived amongst you for your sake. Notice the instruments there in conversion and how wide they are. These are key means that God uses to convert us deeply and thoroughly. God's words, the power that comes from them. That is, when we have faith, we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. The gospel about Jesus' lordship, when we believe, transfers us from death to life, from death to the true and living God, as it says here, away from idols that lead to death and decay. So we're saved by God's word, by the power that accompanies that, and then the miracles of the Holy Spirit, this new birth, the birth from above, the birth from above that includes healing. God heals our will so that we choose that which is good. God heals our mind so we perceive what is true, so that we can live within the sacred and the supernatural. God heals us so that we might love others, so that we might have faith, so that we might know that Jesus is returning and live in light of that return. And that amounts to deep conviction because we've been moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We've begun to experience that, strengthened by God's words, experiencing the miracles of new life and regeneration, living again so that when hard times come, you have the conviction. These hard times are small and big. I'll tell you a tough time. It was at Christmas with my non-Christian family and they were handing each other books to do with the new atheism. All religion is poison. God is a lie. Why religion ruins everything on Christmas Day. And I was sitting there and it was really hard. But because I had a deep conviction of the true and the living God and I had seen what he can do in people's lives, you hold the line and you don't give in. There are many small ways in which people try to cut us down and diminish our faith. But God is living and true 
That's the point that Paul makes here. God is the living and the true God. He will speak to you what is true. He will guide you to the truth. He will heal you to the truth. He will place people in your life, role models, that will embody the truth for you. God is a wonderful God who converts us deeply and thoroughly. And as a result of this deep conversion then, we can do what it says here in verse 3. Paul says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. What's interesting here is that Paul, when he speaks about labor, he uses the word for hard labor here. Because of our faith, the good works that are produced by faith, we can do hard things in the world. I have a T-shirt that you might have seen when I arrive all sweaty and gooey after the gym in the mornings. And on the back it says, do hard things. Lindsay always points this out when I'm wearing this T-shirt. He's like, well, you'd better do hard things today. <laughs> you know? It's not just a motto. It's from the soccer team at Trinity where I did my PhD. They had do hard things on the back of the T-shirts based on the ministry of two brothers, one of whom had married someone with chronic disease and illness. They were both supposed to go to law school. He didn't. He did the hard thing of caring for his wife. That happened around the, the, the season beginning. So we're all like, yeah, let's do hard things as Christians. Soccer's fine. Working out's fine. But actually, the hard thing is loving other people. So we kind of adopted that as our motto, right? Do hard things. Do hard things also happens at a congregational level. And the church that I, I attend, recently there's been some challenges um, with people with drug and addiction, with uh, psychiatric disorders, mental um, challenges too that have been difficult for the whole Christian community. So how do you do the hard things when, when there's been disruptive events, uh, real challenges going on in your congregation? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. One good hard thing is hearing the stories, the loving stories of people who've gathered around those that are suffering. Our church has also brought in expert psychologists to consult with us, to give us help with boundaries, uh, with including people in our church, and how to love people well. It's a great example of how churches get in there, they draw on the best resources possible, and they go the hard yards of loving and don't give up on people. It's really, really hard. And we had a debrief session not long ago. And I remember looking around the room, hearing story after story of hard love for a number of people in our church. It's inspiring. No wonder when Paul thanks God for these people, he is moved. He's moved to joy. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit. We will experience joy in the Spirit when we are celebrating with God the things that God celebrates. Because in union with Him, we will experience His approval, His joy over the hard works of love. In union with you, God gazes over you and He is with you always. And he is overjoyed 
when he sees you love and do those hard things. Be there in your marriage. Be there alongside your children. Be with your colleagues. Serve. Paul says here that these things are done for your sake. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Serving the living God and being in union with him leads to living for the sake of others. It's other person focused. And that's when God's going to delight in you. And that's when other Christians are going to delight in you. They're going to be thanking God for what he is doing. They're not going to be congratulating you. That's not what it's about. It's about thanking God for what he's doing through you. That's the point. We want to please and honour the God that saved us from death. I used to be a nurse. Death is a big deal. What you've been saved from is a really big deal. Live the big deal life for the sake of others, in union with God. Lean into spiritual practices that are going to keep that conversion deep and deepening. Do the hard works of love. And you know what? You'll become a role model for others. Really weird. But it just happens over time. People get to know about you. They'll get to know about God through you and your churches. We live in a world that is desperate for good role models. I do a lot of work with young men in sport and mentoring and coaching. There's a real need for healthy role models of what it is to be a healthy man and healthy groups of men. The living and true God has placed each one of us in our own particular context as signs and symbols of that life to which he can draw people. And it's a different life. It's a life that brings joy to God that's worthy of celebrating. Let's go out with courage as Christians, with this role model church before us, a vision of a new life grounded in God, deeply converted, that does the hard yards and in time will become role models for others for their sake. Let's pray. Oh, how much we love you, our great God. We, we're just amazed by the fact that you have saved us, brought us into your kingdom of peace, of righteousness, of joy in the spirit. Heavenly Father, we pray that we might embody the virtues that we heard about today, that we might be humble, that we might be meek, pure-hearted, peacemakers, pursue righteousness, persevere when there is suffering. Lord God, make us those people through your word, through your power, through your spirit, with deep conviction, through the modelling of others. Father, please help us to be those people that are strengthened so we might serve you and others in the world. Lord God, we, we know you can do this. We've seen it in the lives of others. Father, we offer ourselves to you today as a living sacrifice. Lord God, we pray for renewal in our churches, renewal in our lives, renewal in our families, renewal here at Ridley College, living in true God. We place ourselves in your hands expectantly and we praise you 
for what you've done already and look forward to what you're going to do. Amen.